Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto the ages of all ages, amen. The psalm says, Your years are throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Alleluia. Today's gospel is taken from Matthew chapter 24, and it's almost the entire chapter. It starts from verse 3. So what happened in verse 1 and 2? Well, what happened in verse 1 and 2 is, and in Matthew 23, the chapter just before, in Matthew 23, at the very end of the chapter, Jesus was looking over Jerusalem, and it's called the Lamentation of Christ, where he looks over Jerusalem and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wanted to gather your children as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing, and you will be laid waste until you recognize the day of your visitation. And then, in the beginning of chapter 4, and you know the, the scripture wasn't written like chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, verse 1, verse 2, verse 3. These are, these are divisions that were made later for the, to help us with scholarship and academia and to help us study scripture and to help us to read and to, to reference and to be, help us to communicate. So after Jesus' lamentation, the disciples turned to him you see, the difference between me and the disciples, I don't know about you, but the difference between me and him is the disciples were simple people and they just believed the things Jesus said. So when he told them that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed, they believed it. And they told him, but what about this temple? Like this temple is so glorious and it's all clad in gold and, and it's so amazing and it's so people come from all over the world just to see this temple you know what I mean it's I don't know like the CN Tower or something you know people come from all over, all over the world just to see it and so on and like this too will be destroyed and he tells them assuredly I say to you not a stone will be left one on the other and then he starts talking about he takes his disciples aside privately and he starts talking with them about the end times. Even the temple, I'll tell you something, the, 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 the gospel yesterday, the gospel yesterday in Vespers last night, which is in preparation for today, Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my, by, my words will by no means pass away. Did you hear that? Heaven and earth will pass away. Heaven will pass away. But Jesus, but my, my words will by no means pass away. What is God trying to tell us through all of these different readings? All of the, the Pauline and, the, and the, the, the Catholic, the first and second readings that we read today, they are both really highlighting, they are both really highlighting that the, at the end times, there will be a great deception. And what I was saying is in the introduction to the readings, to help people like to kind of catch what's going on in the readings, is the great deception is not like if I'm trying to lose weight and somebody offers me a cheeseburger and I'm like, oh, I really want to, but I shouldn't. And, and then I kind of, I'm weak and I do it. That's not the great deception. The great deception is where I'm eating cheeseburgers thinking that they're going to make me lose weight. The great deception is where we've 
invested ourselves in something thinking that that will lead us to our salvation. But really, it will lead us to our destruction. That's the great deception, right? So the readings were, 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 were leading us to this. The readings were leading us, telling us there is a great deception. And in the, in, in, in the Catholic epistle, it was saying, it was telling us that hold fast the traditions which you were taught in letter and verbally. The things, the things you were taught, whether they be written in scripture whether they be handed down to you from generation to generation, hold fast to that, right? So that you have a touchstone, so you have a gold standard, so you have something by which you can compare the things to which you're exposed and know whether these are part of the great deception or not. Really, the psalm is what focuses us on the message in the gospel. Like the, the, and that's the psalm comes first to prepare us, to kind of give us the right colored glasses. Like if God wants us to see the pink in the gospel, gives us pink colored glasses. If God wants to see the blue in the gospel, gives us the psalm, will give us blue colored glasses. So we can see... <coughs> Sorry. So we can see... What specific message God wants us to get, the church is pointing us to get from the gospel. So let's look at the psalm again. The psalm says, if we can pull it back up on the screen, that's great. If not, it's fine. It says, your years are throughout all generations. So there are multiple generations. Like my, my biological, like my birth name was John. My dad's name is Maher. Um, his dad's name was Ibrahim. His dad's dad's name, like my dad's grandfather's name was Rufael, and his dad's, Rufael's name was Boutros. So I am John, the son of Meher, the son of Ibrahim, the son of Rufael, the son of Boutros, right? That's, I don't know, my paternal ancestry, right? Those are generations, right? That's one generation, another generation, another generation, another generation, right? How long is a generation? I don't know. Depends on like many factors of the time, you know, healthcare and this and that and whatever. Say 50 years, 60 years, 70 years. That's what a generation is, right? So five, six generations, I don't know, a couple of hundred years, 300 years, something like that. Saying your years are throughout all generations. So that was like five, I, I gave you like five generations back. On my mom's side, I can give you about eight generations back, right? Which actually leads to, the, to an era of martyrdom, um, but that's another story. And, but God's years are throughout all generations. So from beginning to end, from before the beginning, his years began, right? The second thing says, of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. So you're the one who made this world that we, that we live in. They will perish, but you will endure. There are kind of three big statements here. The first is that God is everlasting and unchangeable. The second is that everything is temporary and grows old and perishes. And the third is that God is renewing everything. And if we look at these three things and we see how they how they apply to my day-to-day -day life, like not just like as concepts in my head or things maybe I should think about on Sunday morning or Saturday night or or whatnot, 
but really how they apply to my day-to-day, -day, how do they, they apply to my Monday at 9 a.m. and my Wednesday at 5 p.m. And, and my Thursday after work and so on, we'll see, we'll see where the, the deception where the deception is. So let's start with the first thing, that God is unchangeable. You know, Moses is called by God to go and let the people uh, of Israel out of Egypt, right? And he says to them, he says to God, he gives God five objections. One of them, he says, if they ask me who you are, what am I going to say, right? Now, the name Jehovah had actually been listed previously in the Old Testament. Moses knew that the name of God was Jehovah. But he was asking him this question, what am I going to tell you? He wasn't asking him, what's your name? He's saying, what am I going to tell them about you? Why do, about you, about who you are, about your character? So how does God describe who he is to Moses? He says, I am who I am. Or I am that I am. Right? And when they ask you who sent you, say, I am sent you. Um, in many icons of Christ, you see like, like, all the other, like all the icons, the saints have halos, but Christ will have three like, three, like rays um, coming from him, one to the left, one to the right, and one above. Sometimes people think it looks like a cross, that's very nice, and it may be, indeed does look like a cross, but also, they're usually the Coptic letters there are there that say, I am, I am. Why? Because all of us, I can say I am here today, but I'm speaking about the present. Like, well, like yesterday afternoon, I wasn't here, but then yesterday evening I was here. When I say I am as a statement, it means that I am the ever-present. And I don't think any of us really can say that. I don't think any of us can say that for all time and in all existence, I am. God is. God is. And He's calling us. He's calling us from this temporary world. He's calling us from all these things that are here today, gone tomorrow, to enter into that, into that ever-presence of His, right? And we're going to talk more about that as we go. In the anaphora, you'll see in the liturgy, right? The priest says, lift up your hearts. We have them with the Lord, um, and so on and so on. And then he says, oh you, when we want to describe God, what do we call Him? Oh you, the being. O oh, you, the being. He is the one who is. He's the unchangeable. In, in Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. This is like a whole area of theology called the impassibility of God. You know, sometimes we talk about God, that God is angry, God is happy, God's going to be disappointed in me, God's going to this, God's going to that. God has, He is the perfection of all emotions. All the emotions we experience are a reflection of Him because we're created in His image and likeness. Now that said, God is not petty like me that one day He's happy and one day He's sad and this makes Him disappointed. Why do I, like take disappointment for example. Why do I get disappointment? Disappointment is generally due to unmet expectations, right? You're hoping something or, or an unfulfilled hope, right? You're hoping something would happen. It didn't happen. We get disappointed for sure. What is one critical element that is necessary for disappointment. Not to know the future. Like, if I'm desperately hoping to win the lottery, right? And I'm desperately hoping to win the lottery, and this is it, and for some reason, I don't know, some, some, I have some delusional reason to believe that I'm going to win this lottery, the lottery this week, 
And this is going to be my financial break, right? And I don't, right? If I know that I'm not going to, I might be sad, I might be upset, but I would be disappointed, right? One necessary element of disappointment is not to know the future. So then we say that God is disappointed. Well, I don't know. He's, he, he may express disappointment in a, in a whole and perfect way, but it certainly isn't the disappointment the way we do. Because He is. He is the ever-present. And these concepts of time, these concepts of future and past, have nothing to do with Him. He's outside of time. He sees, he sees the entirety of our existence like a, like a canvas. And He can see everything from before time began till the second coming, and it's all laid before Him like one like one huge canvas, and he can keep it all straight. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. I'm not saying this to um, I'm not saying I'm not I'm not saying this to belabor the point, but to give you comfort, to give you comfort that that God, who you and I are devoted to, God, who you and I are seeking, God, who you and I have put our hope in, is not a God who's going to change tomorrow, right? Every now and again, every now and again when I buy groceries, I'll buy like, I don't know, raspberries or something. And they'll taste great. They'll be so good. I'll like, I'll, I'll say, you know what? Usually I'll just like gobble down the whole basket on my way home from the grocery store. I'll say, no, 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 these are so good. I'm going to like have like two raspberries a day, right? What happens by day three? They go bad, right? I'm like, man, I should have ate them, right? I should have just ate them all, right? What's... What is the necessary element of that disappointment? Is that they change. God doesn't change. God is not going to change. What you see today is what you're going to get for good. Jesus is really simple. When he says, love your enemies, he actually wants us to love our enemies. Right? That's why his disciples believed him. That's why they believed everything he said. Because he was very simple. He just said stuff and they believed it. Because it was simple. Who you see today, he's not planning to change one iota. He's not going to change at all. That's the first thing. The second thing is that everything we see is temporary and grows old and perishes. Isaiah 51.6 says, Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look upon the earth beneath. For the heavens shall vanish away like smoke, and the earth shall wax old like a garment. And they that dwell therein shall die in like manner. But my salvation shall be forever and my righteousness shall not be abolished. God's character and the things which emanate from him never change. Moses went up on the mountain, spent 40 days, 40 nights with God, came down glowing like a light bulb, right? They couldn't see him, they couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't look at him, they couldn't, so they, they put a veil over him so that they could, so he wouldn't blind them, right? How long did he keep the veil on for? What do you think? A day, a week, I come to church, I have communion, right? I partake of the body and blood of the living God, right? And then, like, I'm all with God, and I'm happy, and I'm doing good, and, and somebody does something funny, and I say, nope, not going to judge, and somebody does this, and I say, nope, not going to swear, and, uh, and you know, I'm going to walk the straight and narrow for about a good 45 minutes on Sundays after church, right? How long did, how long did Moses glow like a light bulb for? 45 minutes? Moses was bright, shining bright till the end of his days. About 38 years or so from, from the time he went up on the mountain. 
the things of God that are present, that God has put in the world, that God has put in you and put in me, those are going to stay forever. In 1 Corinthians, it talks about how each one's work will be tested by fire. And we'll see what will remain. He who built up his house with straw, it's kind of like the, you know, now we know where they got the, the little, the story for kids, you know, the three little pigs and the wolf comes and he blows on, right? The, the first wolf's house made of straw, that one falls down. The second one is made of what? Sticks, right? Right? And that one falls down. But the one made of brick, that one stays, right? First Corinthians says straw will be burned, right? Everyone's work will show, right? Silver will be refined. Gold will stay the same. Right? The gold will stay the same. God is gold. And He has put gold in you and in me and in tons of things in this world. Millions and billions and billions of things in this world have God's thumbprint on them. And that thumbprint is gold. And God is calling you and me to go on a treasure hunt. To be treasure hunters looking for the gold in this world. The stuff that when... The elements burn with fervent heat, like St. Peter says, like scientists for the first half of the 20th century ridiculed scripture and said, elements don't burn. Elements don't, an element is the smallest thing that could ever be. And then obviously, Einstein came with theory of relativity and found that yes, you can break an element into, into several particles and you can get atomic energy. And atomic energy, enough of it would cause the world to incinerate exactly what St. Peter is saying, right? The elements will burn with fervent heat and the whole world will dissolve like it's clearly described, right? But the gold will remain. So where is the gold? And God is calling you and me to be treasure hunters, to be looking for the thumbprint of God, looking for the character of God. All this stuff it says in Isaiah will pass away You know, the the heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will, will wax old like a garment. People will die in like manner, but my salvation is forever and my righteousness will not be abolished. Look for the character of God in people. Look for the character of God in nature. Look for the character of God in everything in the world. And hold on to that. Hold on to the gold. If you have, okay, you have two hands, right? You have two hands and you're going to the open buffet of the universe, okay? And you can grab as much as you can carry of whatever you want, right? And you know that you're going to walk through fire. Are you going to grab straw or are you going to grab gold? Grab gold. Grab gold. Grab the stuff that you are going to be able to carry through. Grab onto the character of God everywhere that you look. The third thing, there are lots of other Bible verses, but I just keep going. The third thing is that God is renewing everything. It would be kind of a sad story if we say the, the elements are going to burn with fervent heat, like all the elements are going to like are going to part ways, and we're going to get atomic energy. The whole, you know, our our, our globe, like the, the whole world, is just going to go up in flames. Our galaxy is just going to completely explode, and. That's it, folks. They lived happily ever after, you know, after being incinerated. No. Revelation 21 says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. And then it's skipping down to verse 5. 
God says, Behold, I make all things new. And then he goes on to say that there will be no sickness there, no death there, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And Isaiah 43, verse 19 says, See, I am doing a new thing. God is commanding us, See, look, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up, <clears throat> now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God is telling you and me this. He's telling us, don't be deceived by the outer appearances of things. Grab onto what's going to last forever. Don't hold on to the stuff which isn't going to go anywhere. One of my favorite, favorite verses when I'm going through a hard time or when I'm struggling, is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses seven, the last two chapters in the verse, verse 17, 17, for 17, 18. St. Paul is saying this. He's comparing what's going on here to what we're investing in in the kingdom. He says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is for, for working for us a far exceeding weight of glory. He's saying this, three things in one hand, three things in the other, okay? Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, those three things, is working for us, what? It's doing, it's helping us get to what? It's get, helping us get to a far more exceeding, eternal weight of glory. Look at the three things, they're, they're polar opposites. Light is replaced with far more exceeding. But for a moment is replaced with eternal. Weight of glory is being produced by affliction. So St. Paul is saying our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far exceeding weight of glory. So what's going on here, and, and he's saying this like and, and every time I read this, I turn around and say to St. Paul, yeah, you have no idea what I'm going through. If you're calling what I'm going through a light affliction, which is but for a moment, you, you have you have the slightest clue of what I'm going through. If you flip a little later in, in, the, in the book, right, in uh, chapter 9, St. Paul talks about all of the things that he's been through, and he talks about how, or chapter 11, sorry, he says that he's been in labors and stripes and prisons and in, he, he's died and come back to life. Um, he's been whipped 39 times. Five times he was scourged. Not once. Jesus was scourged once. St. Paul was scourged five times. Right? Shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. A night and a day is hanging onto a board of wood in the middle of the sea. Doesn't know, like, am I going to get found? Am I not going to get found? If I let go of this board, I'm, you know, I'll drown. Anyways, the list is long. The short of the long is if somebody knew about suffering, it was certainly St. Paul. And he's saying that our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far exceeding weight of glory. That's, my, that's the word of encouragement that I often go to when I'm going through a hard time. But... I'm not talking about going through a hard time now. I want, to go, I want to go to the next thing he says. The next thing he says, says like, Therefore, we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. 
Because the things which are seen are temporary, and the things which are not seen are eternal. Back to my cheeseburger. My cheeseburger is here for a limited period of time because it is an endangered species if it's in my presence, right? And then as soon as, as, soon as I've gobbled it down, it's gone, right? But what's not seen is staying here for good, right? I have this theory. I have this theory that every bit of McDonald's that I eat stays with me forever, you know? Like, I can, I can lose the salad that I ate, like, I can burn that off, but the McDonald's just stays with me forever. This is not based on scripture or theology or science or anything. It's just my own little delusion, right? Those things which are seen are temporary. Necessarily, they're temporary. I'm standing here right now at 1023, at 10.25, I'm not going to be standing here anymore. I'm going to be standing over there. And at 10 o'clock tonight, I'm not going to be in this building at all. The things which we see are temporary. St. Paul is telling us, focus, folks, focus. The things which we see are temporary. Don't let your senses deceive you. Don't be deceived by your senses. Don't be deceived by what you see, by what you hear. Hold on to the truth, the truth which you read and the truth which you were taught by an oral tradition. Let me give you one a final example, and then, and then we'll pray. This is the best advice I ever got when I went through my first real heartbreak. Like I had my first real relationship and it didn't work out. My dad saw me devastated. My dad didn't want me dating this girl, and it, you know, obviously he was right. Um, and and uh, obviously because it's not not everything he says is right, but he was right this time for sure. Um, and uh, he sat me down. He said, "Look, you look pretty devastated," and I was. He said to me, "This look. You have to choose what you invest yourself in. You choose what you invest yourself in." Because you have a limited life, you're going to be on this earth for X number of days, weeks, months, years. And each one of those days, once it passes, you don't get it back. So you have to decide where you're going to invest your time. But time is just one thing. There's time, there's money, there's more than that. You have to choose what you're going to invest yourself in. You choose whether you want to invest yourself in things which are going to hang around or things which are going to go. You decide. If you invest yourself in things which you know you're going to lose, you're setting yourself up for pain. If you invest yourself in things which you know you get to keep forever, you're setting yourself up for unplacable joy, unplacable peace, like unshakable peace. So that stewed in my mind for some time and I realized that, you know, I have to be very thoughtful about how I invest myself and what I, what I give my heart to. And then it dawned on me, you know, my parents, you know, God bless them, they have a lovely marriage and may God protect them. I was leaving the house a few days later and my mom was sitting at the kitchen table and I turned to her and I said, you know what, mom? Pending some freak accident or something, you know, God protect you. One of you is probably going to go first, either you or dad. She smiled and she said, yeah. And I said, so really, 
you know, all, all we really have is God. And she smiled like, she, like I was saying some very deep truth that she had realized, you know, decades ago. And she said, yeah. Even the things we hold most dear, Mom, are, are one day going to go. And she said, yeah. I said, so why, why bother loving things that you know you're going to lose? She smiled. And she said, yeah. And then she looked up at me and she said, but if you can see God in people and you can love God in people, you will never lose that. And that has become, and that has become like one of the foundations of how I build my relationships with people. Because God is present in every person. And you might be telling me, thanks for the uh, you know, parental advice there, Father John, but it's a little late for me because I've already parted ways from somebody. I've already this, I've already that. You can go back in your memory and you can find the fingerprints of God. You can find those characters of God in those person and reinvest ourselves and reinvest ourselves in God in finding God, in being treasure hunters, looking for God, looking for the goodness of God, looking for the gold which does not perish. You know what, it, what's, what it's like? I'll finish with this analogy. You ever seen the movie Evan Almighty, right, where this guy, congressman, is like becomes Noah and has to build the ark, right? And then he's kind of like getting these messages from God and he's trying to run away from God, right? And he runs, he's running away from God and Morgan Freeman is God, right? I mean, Morgan Freeman is not God, but in this movie, Morgan Freeman is God, right? And, um, and Morgan Freeman has been God in so many movies. National Geographic actually made him do a documentary about like God and what different people think of God. And they use Morgan Freeman, of course, you know, to do the documentary because he's acted God in so many movies. But he's not God. But anyway, so Evan Almighty, Evan, this congressman, Steve Carroll, is like everywhere he looks, like he's driving, he looks in his rearview mirror, there's Morgan Freeman. He looks out the window, there's Morgan Freeman. He like, he's like, somebody slams the brakes in front of him, he starts shouting out the window, who's, who's in the car in front of him? Morgan Freeman. Everywhere he looks, he finds, he sees Morgan Freeman. Everywhere he looks, he sees God. God wants you and me to be like that. He wants you and me that everywhere we look, we see God. Everywhere we look, we see the fingerprints of God. And when I say I love my wife, I love everything about her. But what I love most, what I love most is the character that God of God that He has put in her. I love you very much. From all my heart, I love you. And what I love most about you is the character of God the image and likeness of God I see glowing in you. Let us be treasure hunters, seeking for gold, not straw, grasping gold and not straw, that we might hold on to what that which will last forever. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. I've sinned. Forgive me, my fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. Please pray for me.